0: book one chapter four part three of the octopus by frank norris this librivox recording is in the public domain a little later the priest's cigar long since out slipped from his fingers to the ground he began to nod gently vanamee touched his arm asleep sir the other started rubbing his eyes upon my word i believe i was "'Better go to bed, sir. "'I am not tired. "'I think I shall sit out here a little longer. "'Well, perhaps I would be better off in bed. "'Your bed is always ready for you here "'whenever you want to use it. "'No, oh, I shall go back to Keen Sabe later. "'Good night, sir.' "'Good night, my boy.' "'Baname was left alone. "'For a long time he sat motionless in his place, "'his elbows on his knees, his chin, propped in his hands the minutes passed then the hours the moon climbed steadily higher among the stars vanamee rolled and smoked cigarette after cigarette the blue haze of smoke hanging motionless above his head or drifting in slowly weaving filaments across the open spaces of the garden But the influence of the old enclosure, the corner of romance and mystery, this isolated garden of dreams, savoring of the past with its legends, its graves, its crumbling sundial, its fountain with its rime of moss, was not to be resisted. Now that the priest had left him, the same exaltation of spirit that had seized upon Vanamy earlier in the evening, by degrees, grew big again in his mind and imagination. His sorrow assaulted him like the flagellations of a fine whiplash, and his love for Angele rose again in his heart. It seemed to him never so deep, so tender, so infinitely strong. No doubt it was his familiarity with the mission garden, his clear-cut remembrance of it, as it was in the days when he had met Angele there, tallying now so exactly with the reality there under his eyes, "'that brought her to his imagination so vividly. "'As yet he dared not trust himself near her grave, "'but for the moment he rose, "'and his hands clasped behind him, "'walked slowly from point to point "'amid the tiny graveled walks, "'recalling the incidents of eighteen years ago. "'On the bench he had quitted, "'he and Angele had often sat. "'Here by the crumbling sundial "'he recalled the night when he had kissed her "'for the first time.' Here, again by the rim of the fountain, with its fringe of green, she once had paused, and bearing her arm to the shoulder, had thrust it deep into the water, and then withdrawing it, had given it to him to kiss, all wet and cool, and here at last, under the shadow of the pear trees, they had sat, evening after evening, looking off over the little valley below them, watching the night build itself dome-like from horizon to zenith. Brusquely Vanamee turned away from the prospect. The seed ranch was dark at this time of the year and flowerless. Far off towards its center he had caught a brief glimpse of the house where Angele had lived, and a faint light burning in its window. But he turned from it sharply. The deep-seated travail of his grief abruptly reached the paroxysm. With long strides he crossed the garden and re-entered the mission church itself, plunging into the coolness of its atmosphere as into a bath. What he searched for he did not know, or rather did not define. He knew only that he was suffering, that a longing for Angele, for some object around which his great love could enfold itself, was tearing at his heart with iron teeth. He was ready to be deluded craved the hallucination begged pitifully for the illusion anything rather than the empty tenantless night the voiceless silence the vast loneliness of the overspanning arc of the heavens before the chancel rail of the altar under the sanctuary lamp vanamee sank upon his knees his arms folded upon the rail his head bowed down upon them he prayed with what words he could not say for what he did not understand for help merely for relief for an answer to his cry it was upon that at length that his disordered mind concentrated itself an answer he demanded he implored an answer not a vague visitation of grace not a formless sense of peace but an answer something real even if the reality were fancied a voice out of the night responding to his, a hand in the dark clasping his groping fingers, a breath human, warm, fragrant, familiar, like a soft, sweet caress on his shrunken cheeks. Alone there in the dim half-light of the decaying mission, with its crumbling plaster, its naive crudity of ornament and picture, he wrestled fiercely with his desires words fragments of sentences inarticulate incoherent wrenched from his tight shut teeth but the answer was not in the church above him over the high altar the virgin in a glory with downcast eyes and folded hands grew vague and indistinct in the shadows the colors fading tarnished by centuries of incense smoke the christ in agony on the cross was but a lamentable vision of tormented anatomy gray flesh spotted with crimson. The St. John, the San Juan Batista, patron saint of the mission, the gaunt figure in skins, two fingers upraised in the gesture of benediction, gazed stolidly out into the half-gloom under the ceiling, ignoring the human distress that beat itself in vain against the altar rail below. And Angélé remained as before, only a memory, far distant, intangible, lost. Vanamee rose, turning his back upon the altar with a vague gesture of despair. He crossed the church, and issuing from the low arched door opposite the pulpit, once more stepped out into the garden. Here, at least, was reality. The warm still air descending upon him like a cloak, grateful, comforting, dispelling the chill that lurked in the damp mould of plaster and crumbling adobe but now he found his way across the garden to the other side of the fountain where ranged against the eastern wall were nine graves here angele was buried in the smallest grave of them all marked by the little headstone with its two dates only sixteen years apart to this spot at last he had returned after the years spent in the desert the wilderness after all the wanderings of the long trail here if ever he must have a sense of her nearness close at hand a short four feet under that mound of grass was the form he had so often held in the embrace of his arms the face the very face he had kissed that face with the hair of gold making three-cornered the round white forehead the violet blue eyes heavy lidded with their strange oriental slant upward toward the temples The sweet, full lips, almost Egyptian in their fullness, All that strange, perplexing, wonderful beauty. So troublous, so enchanting, so out of all accepted standards. He bent down, dropping upon one knee, a hand upon the headstone, and read again the inscription. Then instinctively his hand left the stone, and rested upon the low mound of turf, touching it with the softness of a caress. And then, before he was aware of it, he was stretched at full length upon the earth, beside the grave, his arms about the low mound, his lips pressed against the grass with which it was covered. The pent-up grief of nearly twenty years rose again within his heart, and overflowed irresistible, violent, passionate. There was no one to see, no one to hear. Vanamee had no thought of restraint he no longer wrestled with his pain, strove against it. There was even a sense of relief in permitting himself to be overcome. But the reaction from this outburst was equally violent. His revolt against the inevitable, his protest against the grave, shook him from head to foot, goaded him beyond all bounds of reason, hounded him on and into the domain of hysteria, dementia. Vanamee was no longer master of himself, no longer knew what he was doing. At first he had been content with merely a wild, unreasoned cry to heaven that Angele should be restored to him, but the vast egotism that seems to run through all forms of disordered intelligence gave his fancy another turn. He forgot God. He no longer reckoned with heaven. He arrogated their powers to himself, struggled to be of his own unaided might, stronger than death, more powerful than the grave he had demanded of saria that god should restore angela to him but now he appealed directly to angela herself as he lay there his arms clasped about her grave she seemed so near to him that he fancied she must hear and suddenly, at this moment, his recollection of his strange, compelling power, the same power by which he had called Presley to him halfway across the Quinsabe ranch, the same power which had brought Saria to his side that very evening, recurred to him. Concentrating his mind upon the one object with which it had so long been filled, Vanamee, his eyes closed, his face buried in his arms, exclaimed, "'Come to me, Angele! do Don't you hear?' come to me but the answer was not in the grave below him the voiceless earth lay silent moveless withholding the secret jealous of that which it held so close in its grip refusing to give up that which had been confided to its keeping untouched by the human anguish that above there on its surface clutched with despairing hands at a grave long made The earth, that only that morning had been so eager, so responsive to the lightest summons, so vibrant with life, now at night, holding death within its embrace, guarding inviolate the secret of the grave, was deaf to all entreaty, refused the answer, and Angele remained as before, only a memory, far distant, intangible, lost." Vanamee lifted his head, looking about him with unseeing eyes, trembling with the exertion of his vain effort. But he could not as yet allow himself to despair. Never before had that curious power of attraction failed him. He felt himself to be so strong in this respect that he was persuaded, if he exerted himself to the limit of his capacity, something, he could not say what, must come of it. If it was only a self-delusion, an hallucination. He told himself that he would be content. Almost of its own accord his distorted mind concentrated itself again, every thought, all the power of his will riveting themselves upon Angele. As if she were alive, he summoned her to him. His eyes, fixed upon the name, cut into the headstone, contracted, the pupils growing small, his fists shut tight, his nerves braced rigid for a few seconds he stood thus breathless expectant awaiting the manifestation the miracle then without knowing why hardly conscious of what was transpiring he found that his glance was leaving the headstone was turning from the grave not only this but his whole body was following the direction of his eyes before he knew it he was standing with his back to Angela's grave was facing the north facing the line of pear trees and the little valley where the seed ranch lay at first he thought this was because he had allowed his will to weaken the concentrated power of his mind to grow slack and once more turning toward the grave he banded all his thoughts together in a consummate effort his teeth grinding together, his hands pressed to his forehead. He forced himself to the notion that Angoulay was alive, and to this creature of his imagination he addressed himself. "'Angoulay!' he cried in a low voice. "'Angoulay, I am calling you. Do you hear me? Come to me. Come to me now. Now!' Instead of the answer he demanded, that inexplicable counter-influence cut across the current of his thought. "'Strive as he would against it. He must veer to the north, toward the pear-trees. "'Obeying it, he turned, and still wondering, took a step in that direction, then another, "'and another. The next moment he came abruptly to himself in the black shadow of the pear-trees "'themselves, and opening his eyes, found himself looking off over the seed-ranch, "'toward the little house in the centre, where Angele had once lived.' perplexed he returned to the grave once more calling upon the resources of his will and abruptly so soon as those reached a certain point the same cross-current set in he could no longer keep his eyes upon the headstone could no longer think of the grave and what it held he must face the north he must be drawn toward the pear trees and there left standing in their shadow looking out aimlessly over the seed ranch wondering bewildered Farther than this the influence never drew him, but up to this point, the line of pear-trees, it was not to be resisted. For a time the peculiarity of the affair was of more interest to Vanamee than even his own distress of spirit, and once or twice he repeated the attempt almost experimentally, and invariably with the same result. So soon as he seemed to hold Angele in the grip of his mind, He was moved to turn about toward the north and hurry toward the pear trees on the crest of the hill that overlooked the little valley but vanamee's unhappiness was too keen this night for him to dwell upon the vagaries of his mind submitting at length and abandoning the grave he flung himself down in the black shade of the pear trees his chin in his hands and resigned himself finally and definitely to the inrush of recollection and the exquisite grief of an infinite regret to his fancy she came to him again he put himself back many years he remembered the warm nights of july and august profoundly still the sky encrusted with stars the little mission garden exhaling the mingled perfumes that all through the scorching day had been distilled "'under the steady blaze of a summer sun. "'He saw himself as another person arriving at this, their rendezvous. "'All day long she had been in his mind. "'All day long he had looked forward to this quiet hour that belonged to her. "'It was dark. He could see nothing. "'But by and by he heard a step, "'a gentle rustle of the grass on the slope of the hill "'pressed under an advancing foot.' Then he saw the faint gleam of pallid gold of her hair, a barely visible glow in the starlight, and heard the murmur of her breath in the lapse of the overpassing breeze. And then, in the midst of the gentle perfumes of the garden, the perfumes of the magnolia flowers, of the mignonette borders, of the crumbling walls, there expanded a new odour, or the faint mingling of many odours, the smell of the roses that lingered in her hair of the lilies that exhaled from her neck, of the heliotrope that disengaged itself from her hands and arms, and of the hyacinths with which her little feet were redolent. And then suddenly it was herself, her eyes heavy-lidded violet blue, full of the love of him, her sweet lips speaking his name, her hands clasping his hands, his shoulders, his neck, her whole dear body giving itself into his embrace his lips against hers her hands holding his head drawing his face down to hers vanamee as he remembered all this flung out an arm with a cry of pain his eyes searching the gloom all his mind in strenuous mutiny against the triumph of death his glance shot swiftly out across the night unconsciously following the direction from which Used to come to him. Come to me now, he exclaimed under his breath, tense and rigid with the vast futile effort of his will. Come to me now. Now, don't you hear me, Angele? You must, you must come. Suddenly, vanamee returned to himself with the abruptness of a blow. His eyes opened. He half raised himself from the ground. Swiftly, his scattered wits readjusted themselves. Never more sane, never more himself. He rose to his feet and stood looking off into the night across the seed ranch. "'What was it?' he murmured, bewildered. He looked around him from side to side, as if to get in touch with reality once more. He looked at his hands, at the rough bark of the pear tree next which he stood, at the street and rain-eroded walls of the mission and garden. The exaltation of his mind calmed itself, the unnatural strain under which he laboured slackened he became thoroughly master of himself again, matter of fact, practical, keen. But just so sure as his hands were his own, just so sure as the bark of the pear tree was rough, the moldering adobe of the mission walls damp, just so sure had something occurred. It was vague, intangible, appealing only to some strange, nameless sixth sense, but nonetheless perceptible his mind, his imagination, sent out from him across the night, across the little valley below him, speeding hither and thither through the dark, lost, confused, had suddenly paused, hovering, had found something. It had not returned to him empty-handed. It had come back, but now there was a change, mysterious, elusive. There were no words for this that had transpired, but for the moment one thing only was certain. The night was no longer voiceless, the dark was no longer empty. Far off there, beyond the reach of vision, unlocalized, strange, a ripple had formed on the still black pool of the night, had formed, flashed one instant to the stars, then swiftly faded again. The night shut down once more. There was no sound. Nothing stirred." for the moment Vanamee stood transfixed, struck rigid in his place, stupefied, his eyes staring breathless with utter amazement. Then, step by step, he shrank back into the deeper shadow, treading with the infinite precaution of a prowling leopard. A qualm of something very much like fear seized upon him. But immediately on the heels of this first impression came the doubt of his own senses. Whatever had happened had been so ephemeral, so faint, so intangible, but now he wondered if he had not deceived himself after all. But the reaction followed. Surely there had been something. And from that moment began for him the most poignant uncertainty of mind. Gradually he drew back into the garden, holding his breath, listening to every faintest sound, walking upon tiptoe. He reached the fountain, and, wetting his hands, passed them across his forehead and eyes. Once more he stood listening. The silence was profound. Troubled, disturbed, Vanamee went away, passing out of the garden, descending the hill. He forded Broderson Creek, where it intersected the road to Guadalajara, and went on across Kinsabe, walking slowly, his head bent down, his hands clasped behind his back, thoughtful, perplexed. End of Book One, Chapter four